what would you do if you found out your favorite paranormal entity was racist? And then we meet a young man who rents a new apartment. He's excited to start a life on his own. But little does he realize that this apartment already has an inhabitant. It's hiding in the pantry. And it's hungry for human meat. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. Hope you guys got some cool gifts. I got a bunch of clothes, some socks, and stuff. But those are all my cool gifts. I got that new Walking Dead video game. So I'm super excited about that. I got that from my brother. Thanks, bro. Walking Dead video game, bunch of clothes, some candy, a little stuffed ghost. I made out like a bandit. <laughs> I made out like a bandit to be sure. So I hope you guys also had lots of great gifts over the holiday season. But someone who's a gift unto himself, running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command right now, is our newest Patreon supporter. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Horse Boyo. Woohoo, yeah, we, ha, yeah, we're all jumping on his back, making him ride us around Dead Rabbit Radio Command. Wee-hee, yay! Give us rides, give us rides. Horse Boyo, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. I really, really do. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so, so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Really, really do appreciate it. Paranormality Magazine just gave us podcast of the day. The day I'm recording this, so that was really cool. They are also getting the word out. Thank you, Paranormality Magazine. Really appreciate it. Horse boy, let's go ahead and get this party started. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the... Hair hang glider. Let's jump off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to glide all the way out to the Highlands. Not the Scottish Highlands. We're not going up there to meet old Duncan McLeod himself. No. We're headed to the Highlands. The place where people go when they do enough drugs. Floating around the kaleidoscope world of the acid droppers. Groovy, bro. I'm peeling off my own skin. Say goodbye to those maniacs. Then we see a bunch of dope smokers sitting on the corner. Whoa, dude. Marijuana's my wife. Smoking smoking a bunch of weed. They're like, Jason, how old are you? People don't talk like that anymore. If ever. If they ever talk like that. We're flying over all these normal drug users because we're looking for the edgiest of drugs. The stuff that really breaks reality. There is a phenomenon known as the machine elves. And I will say I'm not a hallucinogen user myself. I have no interest in pulling my own skin off or thinking that there's glass in my veins. (laughs) To be fair, that's not hallucinogen. That's PCP, but... My point is is that I'm not a hallucinogen user myself. My grasp of reality is already so tenuous, at best, really, that I don't want to do anything. At any point, I think it is possible that a leprechaun will walk into my apartment, or I will go to bed and I hear a nighty-night, and there's a goblin warlord 
uh, currently using my bathroom. Because listen, man, I do exist in a world where those things are possible, although not probable. They could happen. So why would I want to take a drug that when the leprechaun does walk through my door, I won't know if that's a real leprechaun or if that's a drug-induced hallucination. <laughs> then I won't get him, and I won't get my three wishes. Because I'll think he's just a hallucination. But there was one drug at a point in time where I thought, hey, you know, this might be kind of interesting. And that was DMT. DMT, it's a chemical compound found in ayahuasca. You can drink that. Vomit for eight hours, and then you go on a groovy trip. You can also smoke DMT. It's a naturally occurring, from what I understand, it's also a naturally occurring chemical in the brain. And they say as you die, a mass amount of DMT is released into your brain. So who knows what you're tripping on at that point. But I thought about doing DMT for one reason and one reason only. A long time ago, I heard Alex Jones, this would be like mid-2000s, Alex Jones talk about the machine elves. Apparently, this is something that makes it unusual compared to pretty much every other drug, if not all drugs. When you're high on DMT, there is a chance you will come across a sentient race of entities known as the machine elves or the clockwork elves. The reason why, I've heard different versions of why they're called the machine elves, is one is that they have a very machine-like appearance. They're like these self-transforming little elves. I'm like, hey, Optimus Prime, you're my favorite. I'm all giving him a hug. He's like, get off of me, I'm an elf. They can transform themselves. They're also often seen building these great contraptions as well. So you have the machine elves who exist in this realm. And what's interesting is you... Drug highs are like dreams. They shouldn't have any sort of shared components. If you're in Chicago and you do shrooms on the rooftop of a building and look out of the night sky, you're going to see something. Probably depending on how much shrooms you do. But it's not going to be the same as the person who's doing shrooms in Anchorage, Alaska, looking up at that same night sky. There's no connection between the two worlds but people around the world who have smoked enough dmt have gotten high enough go to the world of the machine elves and that doesn't make sense because it shouldn't be that way a high should be different for each person but the fact that they're all experiencing or if you do enough of this experiencing the same race of these entities it would suggest that you're not just getting high that you're actually traveling to another dimension in the greatest vehicle of all the human brain. Fascinating stuff. Terrence McKenna, psychonaut, author, he went ahead and talked about the machine elves. Let me give you this quote. He goes, quote, you pass through a membrane of some sort and you're in a place. You're pushed through and you see the tykes, as I call them. The self-transforming machine elves that are singing in a hyperdimensional language. They surround you and say, welcome. We're so glad to see you. Fascinating. Fascinating to think that if I do DMT, I can also be surrounded by these machine elves. Well, let's take a look at another experience somebody had. We're going to meet this guy. Let's go ahead and call him Joey. Joey, he's a young African-American man. He decides to smoke a little bit of DMT. And then a little more. 
A little more. And he's smoking enough to visit the world of the machine elves. And he is now walking through this wondrous realm and he sees these little elf-like creatures working on this huge contraption. And one of them turned around, one of these little elf guys turned around, looked at Joey, and then said to all the other elves working on this project, this elf turns around, looks at Joey, and then turns to his buddies and goes, Hey, look, the N-word is back. They didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say N-word, he actually said the word, to be clear. And this is an interesting article I found on this website called afro.com. It's a website that profiles the African-American, the black experience in the world. And they wrote this article. It's called Psychedelic Privilege. Are DMT Entities Racist? And they do profile these different stories of black men using DMT and tripping out, but it being incredibly racist. One guy said that he had smoked it before. He had had a really good trip, but when he tried it again, he saw all of these racist caricatures, like cartoon racist caricatures, like you would see in an old Bugs Bunny cartoon or a Betty Boop cartoon. He sees all these racist cartoon caricatures, and they were mocking me, and they felt evil. They were evil. And I truly believed that I was in danger, that they were going to kill me. Let's take a look at another story. We'll call this guy Philip, this black dude, smoking DMT, goes to the world of the machine elves and sees all of these elves standing there. And all of a sudden they surround him and start chanting, Emmett Till, Emmett Till, Emmett Till, Emmett Till. And he's like, what? What in the world is going on here? Now, at the time, he did not know who Emmett Till was. You might not either. We'll <laughs> explain that. It's a horrific story. I'll explain that at the end of this. But at the time, Philip's like, what, what is going on? They're all, Emmett Till, Emmett Till, Emmett Till. And then they picked him up and carried him towards this gaping black void. And at that point, they've stopped chanting Emmett Till and now they're yelling out, in word, in word, in word, in word. And they threw him into the void. And he goes, I just kind of floated in the void for a bit. I floated in pitch blackness, really trying to figure out what just happened. And then eventually I stopped being high, found myself back on my couch or wherever he did this trip at. He's like, whoa, <laughs> that was a little intense. And Alex Jones never talked about any of this stuff. Terrence McKenna never, Terrence McKenna said they would welcome me back to their world. Philip said, he goes, I didn't know who Emmett Till was. And this was the same experience for me. I'm 47 years old. They never really taught this stuff in school. They didn't even teach this stuff in college. But Philip goes, I grew up in the suburbs. I went to a white suburban school. I never knew who Emmett Till was. But eventually, he finds out who Emmett Till was. Horrific story. Back in 1955 in Mississippi, Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy 
who committed the unspoken crime of flirting with a married white woman. She was working at like a grocery store. It was a married white woman. This 14-year-old boy from out of town, he's from Chicago, flirted with her. And then he leaves. Later, Emmett is kidnapped in front of his family. Beaten so badly that it bordered on torture. Mutilated. Then shot and killed. And then his body was dumped in the river. The people who killed him, they found out who killed him. They were found not guilty. Even though later on in life they did admit to killing him. Absolutely tragic. Philip's like, I didn't know who that dude was. I didn't know why they were chanting that name. But now that he does know who Emmett Till was, makes the whole experience far more terrifying. So are the machine elves racist? This is a really interesting question because we tend to think of entities and aliens, we're going to kind of lump them in together, as above it all. I think that's kind of the general consensus that aliens will come down and unite humanity. These universal intelligences, these entities that exist outside of our corrupted world would see no color, no race, no religion. They would see everything equally. That's what we would hope. But is it true? I mean, the last thing we need is some aliens coming down and being like, oh no, you guys are right. That particular ethnic group, black. Like, could you imagine the chaos if aliens came down and said, yeah, you know what? We're not a huge fan of Asians. Like, the rest of you guys are cool, but we don't like Asians. I mean, like, that would be really, really hard to process. So we hope the aliens come down and go, yeah, we used to have a world that was torn apart by war and religious strife and all this stuff, but we bound it together. We now find home among the stars. And you guys can too once you put all those squabbles away versus oh no we're we're very racist alien species we agree with what's going on we want to see which one of you races is going to last the longest then they get to join the galactic brotherhood fascinating because we don't think of that it's interesting because we had the article afru.com they said could be a couple different things going on here they go one ayahuasca is a Latin American, Hispanic, um, cultural ritual. And when you have people of different cultures engaging in it, I mean, these, most people who are doing DMT are not actually drinking ayahuasca. They're there. It's like the DMT is extracted from it or it's processed somehow differently, but they go, the DM, the chemical itself, when you're doing it, you may be trespassing into a spiritual realm that was originally established for the indigenous people of Latin America, South America. That's a really interesting way to look at it for sure. So it would see people as interlopers. You would wonder though, why we don't see Alex Jones and Terrence McKenna and all these other celebrities who are using it. The article mentioned Post Malone. I don't know if he does it, but I'll take him at their word. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if Post Malone was doing drugs and wouldn't send me to the hospital in shock. It wouldn't explain why other people who aren't Hispanic don't have such negative trips. 
That was one of their theories. They had a couple other theories. Some of the commenters said what you bring into the hallucination is what you bring out of the hallucination. They go, if you're having a hard time struggling with something, a particular issue, i.e. racism at this point, you may have a racist trip. But that still doesn't explain the machine elves knowing something that Philip did not know. Who Emmett Till was. I'm more of the line that the the machine elves exist in some form. That it is not just a hallucination. And for whatever reason, I don't know how broad of a study this was. It looked like it was just a couple cases that Afro.com had found. I don't know if they'd gotten these from friends or if they had found them in some research journal or what. I wonder how widespread this is. I wonder if you could say like 8 out of 10 black people who use DMT have these horrific visions. Or is it 1 out of a million? I don't think it's that accessible as a drug, really. And also, I just think word of mouth, right? If someone said, hey, man, how was that DMT trip? You're like, not good. Thrown into the void. They called me horrific names. It was horrible. Don't use it. It could also be a word of mouth thing. But it's. I would lean more towards that it's very possible that the DMT elves are racist. Which is sad. Which is really sad. You, again, you would think that... Aliens and entity. I, I imagine that a racist ghost may continue to be racist in the afterlife because that is just a horrible condition of humans will find a division and they'll exploit it, whether it's race or religion or economic status, anything. What side of the street you live on? I imagine that a ghost full of prejudice would be prejudicial in the afterlife, but I would hope not. You would hope you would learn your lesson and see the world in a different shape. But to think, like, I don't think Bigfoot's racist, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think cryptids would be racist. I don't think aliens would be racist. We don't come across that much. But what's interesting is we do come across a lot of accounts of aliens talking about Christianity. But I think that's because the people who are getting abducted by them are asking questions, specific questions about Christianity. Because they're Christian themselves. I don't think anyone said, well, what do you think about the Branch Davidians? And the aliens are all, bleh! <laughs> they're the worst! They're the worst! You know, I think it's just always these vague... Well, sometimes aliens are scared by prayer, and then sometimes they go, oh no, Jesus was a pretty cool dude. Sometimes the aliens will go, we have our own religion, and sometimes they'll say religion is just a sweet vision of what could be, but there's nothing real to it. We have different answers with aliens, but I can't think of a time that an alien would ever show up and be openly racist. Interesting story. I would, for whatever reason, think more of the machine elves are just actually racist because Terrence McKenna's account is so wildly different than these other accounts that maybe they are racist. And that sucks. That really does suck. And it really does make you think that maybe they don't. I mean, sure, they can build this giant kaleidoscope machine, this contraption that can wander their realm only using the dew drops of the morning sun to power it. But that doesn't mean they're not racist. <laughs> that doesn't mean that they're actually not horribly, horribly racist people. Openly racist, too. It's not like they're just like, bye, bye, as Philip's leaving. And, and like he barely hears them go, man, I'm so glad he's gone. Ugh. No, they were, calling, they were calling him racist names right to his face and threw him in a void. It wasn't like they were trying to hide it. 
Crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy stuff. Are the machine elves racist? Is it just the experience of these three men? Who knows? I'd like to see a big study done on it, but at the same time, that could seem a little bit like torture. I was like, okay, guys, we're going to give you this drug. It's going to trip you out. And they're like, oh, yeah, I heard about this on Alex Jones. I was like, yeah, yeah, Joe Rogan talks about it, too. They're like, oh, yeah, dude, let's smoke this up. And then I go, oh, by the way, after they're all high and they're just sitting there, it's like, oh, by the way, let me know how racist they are. Let me know how racist this other dimension is going to be. They're like, um, what'd you say? It'd be kind of cruel. But I'm interested. I'm interested in knowing... And it would be sad if that was the truth, if this interdimensional species has the same hatred that humans can have for each other. It would be sad. It would be sad, wouldn't it? Horse boy, yo, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carbonicopter. We are leaving behind the realm of the machine elves. Fly us all the way out to an apartment complex. Flying all the way out to this apartment complex. We don't have an exact location for this place. So it could be your apartment complex. This could be happening next door to where you live right now. We're about to meet this young man. We're going to call him Michael. We don't have his real name. It could be your real name. This story could have happened to you. You're like, wait, what? We're about to meet this young dude named Michael. Well, his fake name is Michael. He's moving into this new apartment. He's carrying his boxes upstairs. He's like, woohoo, got my own place. Michael's moving into this new place, and he realizes something pretty quickly. It's cold. It's always cold in his house, which is dope, right? I mean, unless you're in Alaska or something like that, it's like freezing in there. There's no escape from the torment outside. That would be cool. He does say that where he lives, summertime gets pretty hot. It can be 100 degrees outside, but his apartment is always cold. Always cold. He said it didn't matter what you did, what the temperature was outside, running the heater, whatever. The place was always cold. Michael, though, you know, you got to live with it. Sometimes you might move into a place that's a little cold. I'm sure, yeah, this cold defies the laws of physics. It can't get warm. What are you going to do? Well, eventually Michael has people come over. They'll be hanging out, playing a little PS5. I don't know when this story took place, but let's just assume that it took place in the PS5 era. They're playing a little bit of PS5. They're like, dude, Michael, this place is pretty cool, man. I'm <laughs> not saying like it's cool, like it's awesome. I'm freezing. He's like, yeah, I know. I can't ever get the place to warm up. People who want to hang out over at Michael's house, it's uh, BYOS. <laughs> Bring your own sweater. So anyways, he's showing up. People are showing up, hey, his apartment. I don't know. Maybe his friends are like, uh, let's just uh, hang outside. Let's just sit outside on your porch. It's freezing cold all the time. But the worst part of it was the pantry. Michael said that in his kitchen, he had a food pantry. The pantry. He said the coldest part of the whole house was his food pantry in his kitchen. And when you, <laughs> this is hilarious. This would be, I'd be like, hey, man, I bet you five bucks. I can see my breath in my kitchen. <laughs> Jason, I'm going to stop hanging out with you, bro. You're getting weird. You're going on and on about how cold your place is. I have a froze fetish. I love stuff that's cold. I bet you five bucks I can see my breath in my kitchen. Michael, that's what I'd be doing, except for the froze fetish. But anyways, you're like, right, Jason, you're an icy. You dress up as a snowman. That's what gets you up. Michael is not an icy. He's not a snowy. He's a normal human. But... 
when he opened up his food pantry, he could see his breath. He said it was that cold. You open up the food pantry, you could go, and he would see that frosty breath come out. He goes, if you left it open, <laughs> which again is what I would do. I'd be like, hey, man, come over. I'm all throwing people in there. Seven minutes in heaven, bro. Uh, you can't if you're in the food pantry. You don't have to be in the food pantry. When you open the food pantry, it was so cold, not only could you see your breath, if you left it open for a moment or two, your teeth would start to chatter. So, while Jason would use this to play pranks, while Jason would be pushing people in it all the time, just because it was funny, <laughs> they come out, their teeth are all cracked, they're like, oh, you owe me, you owe me dentist money. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, I'll pay you, but you're so cold right now. Why don't we go in my bedroom? You're like, ah, he's an icy. Well, I may be using this to either trick people or seduce them. Michael's like, what am I supposed to do with a pantry that's frozen? He's all putting turkeys in there. People are like, I don't think you're supposed to be putting the Thanksgiving turkey in your pantry. Shouldn't they go in the freezer? He's like, uh-huh. This is the freezer. He goes, it also got worse. This whole scenario got worse. Because eventually, you would open up the pantry and it was dark in there. He said the pantry kept getting darker and darker and darker. He goes, you had a little light string. It was one of those pantries that was not like super spacious, but you know, I have that string that you can turn on the light. That's usually located on the roof of the pantry. He goes, that string was about eight inches into this room, into this pantry closet. And you could see the string hanging, but you couldn't see anything past that. You could only see about eight inches in the door and then past that was pitch darkness. And he said at one point, I don't know if the light bulb didn't work. He said at one point I thought of shining my cell phone flashlight into the pantry. Which would make sense, right? Which would totally make sense, but he has a good reason why he didn't do that. He goes... Thought about shining a flashlight into the pantry because he knows that the darkness is impenetrable after that first eight inches. But he goes, I was afraid of what would happen if it didn't work. Not that something terrible was going to reach out and get him, although I'm sure that was in his head too. But he goes, at this point, the apartment's cold. I'm cold. I can see my breath. My teeth are chattering. It's this impenetrable darkness in this pantry. I could probably rationalize a lot of that. He goes, if I shined a flashlight in there and the light stopped eight inches in, he goes, now I have to completely come to the realization I'm dealing with something paranormal, something that is 100% physically impossible. He goes, and I didn't know what that would do to my mind. So he didn't do that. But over time, the darkness became deeper and darker. To the point that it became impenetrable. It was pitch black when you opened up the food pantry. And my advice as paranormal researcher to you is to stop opening it at this point. Now something paranormal is going on. I'd stop putting food in there. I probably still, <laughs> probably still push people in there. They're like, ah, I'm falling through the void. I was like, I'll see you later. 
but I wouldn't put food in there. <laughs> I wouldn't trust my SpaghettiOs in there, but I would push my best friend into the gaping maw of eternal darkness. <laughs> Here's the thing. Rent's really good. I love the area. It's centrally located. But I should probably stop messing with this pantry. This pantry from Beyond Worlds. I think I'm just going to close it now. <laughs> I mean, like, at that point, first you think, oh, it's just cold. It's a weird, like, circulation system. But, I mean, you know... Now you just have the void inside. I'm done. He just has spaghettios all out on its counter, which is top ramen. They're like, hey, don't you have some place to put this? And he's like, uh, yes and no. And it's not just the deep darkness that made him say, I don't want to put stuff in here anymore. He goes, I would also, when I, this makes sense, when I opened up the pantry and my teeth started chattering and I stared deep into the unknowable, I was overcome with a deep sense of fear. So I'm just not going to use anymore. Just the tip. None of your appliances should make you terrified to use, except for the garbage disposal. Like every so often when I'm standing over the sink, watch, this is going to give the CIA a tip on how to kill me. They'll be like taking notes. You're like, oh, that'd be a great way to kill me. Whenever I'm standing over a sink, whether I'm doing dishes or just standing over a sink, I was like, oh, it's 5 p.m. I stand over the sink time. Don't you ever look at the garbage disposal and think, Dude, that would suck if I put my hand in there and turned it on. Like, don't you think that? I think that's kind of a natural thing. Because you know the destructive power of a garbage disposal. You're like, I wonder what that would do to my hand. Now, I never have done it. <laughs> Obviously, I can edit a podcast. I have all of my fingers. But you think about it. When you're standing over a garbage disposal, don't you think, Oh, man, I wonder what would happen if I put my fingers in there. Anyways. You shouldn't be around equipment that makes you terrified. You shouldn't have stuff in your kitchen that makes you terrified. I'm like, oh, what happened if I put my hands in this toaster? Ah. I've done it everywhere else. I've microwaved my hands, but only the garbage disposal. It doesn't make me afraid. I just think, like, what would happen if I put my hand in that? Especially when I'm running it. You're like, Jason, this is disturbing. Quit talking. Talk about the ghost, man. This is creepy. Haven't you ever been standing in front of a sink and you turn on the garbage disposal and you hear all the... And you're hearing like all of that food. The fork, the fork I left in there. It's like... You hear all that food getting ground up. And then it goes to the clean, right? Because there's no more chunks. Then it just starts making the... Don't you think, man, I wonder what that would do to a human hand. You're like, Jason, no, no. It's just you. Quit talking about it. I'm afraid you're going to do it. I'm a, that's the reason why you don't do hallucinogens. I was like, oh, look it. It's Candy Cove. Right in this little hole in my sink. Ugh. Anyways, I'm not actually, just so we're clear, just so we're clear when the CIA does come here and they try to fake my death, I am, will not stick my hands in the garbage disposal. So if that happens, then you know I was killed. They're like, man, what a way to kill yourself. He put both his hands in the garbage disposal. What a way to go. What a way to go. But Jason did talk about it on his show. And he was frozen. He also said he had a fetish for being frozen to death. Anyways. Michael is like, I don't want to have anything to do with this pantry. It instills me with a deep sense of fear. It's freezing cold. I can't put anything in it without ruining it. And even if it doesn't get ruined, I can't find it. He's like, where did I put my macaroni and cheese? It's more than eight inches in. He's like, oh, man, I forgot. The eternal void. Ah. I guess it's time to order pizza again. He just kind of lives with his pantry. 
not using it at this point. And one day, he says he gets a random hookup to come over. Let's go ahead and call her Sarah. Well, anyway, Sarah comes over one day, just a random girl that he was hooking up with. And they're banging in the bedroom. Or maybe banging on the couch or in the bathroom. I'm not maybe in the pantry. He's like, oh, you know, I heard about this new thing. It's called a freezy. What did I even call it? I remember if I made a fetish. An icy. He's like, you know what? The, they always say the best kind of sex is the coldest sex of all. She's like, what? I never heard of that. They have sex in the house. And then afterwards, they're just kind of hanging out in the living room. And she is walking around the kitchen. This story's crazy. It's one of those stories, if it's true, it's just hilarious and disturbing. Michael goes, I'm sitting there and I'm watching this girl I just met walk around my kitchen. And she walks to the food pantry and opens it up. Probably looking for a snack, right? Maybe there's some like delicious Dorito chips in there. Maybe some sour maybe some sour candy. Not the gateway to the end of the universe. That's not what you expect. She opens the pantry. Michael's just sitting there. He's not really... He's opened the pantry before, right? He's had his own experiences with it. He imagines she's going to open the pantry. She's going to ask a couple questions about how weird it is and where the Doritos are. And then it'll be a day. She's standing there. Sarah's standing there. She opens the pantry. And then she goes... Michael's like, oh no, listen, I've opened that pantry a lot. I've never heard that before. And Sarah is making these really weird noises and she begins drooling. Michael's like, oh, oh, maybe this is just a stroke. It's the best thing you could hope for, right? I call 911. Maybe she's just having a stroke. She begins drooling, and then she bangs her head against the kitchen wall. He's still got his fingers crossed for a stroke. She falls down. She's mumbling. She's just kind of like, just laying there making these weird noises. She gets back to her feet and bangs her head into the kitchen wall again. She starts mumbling. So, Michael has quite the dilemma here, right? Like I said, at best, she's having a stroke. I guess at best, she's just joking. She's doing that old possessed by the pantry routine. She could be having a stroke. She could have a creature from the deep, deep darkness trying to crawl into her body. She could be like epileptic. Who knows? Who knows? But let me ask you this. What would you do in this situation? Someone you barely know is over at your place, begins drooling, (laughs) ramming their head. Now, I I don't imagine it was super hard. I don't imagine her forehead was busted open, but she was banging her head against the kitchen wall. She's drooling. She falls to the floor. She's mumbling. You barely know this girl. What do you do? I think I would probably, I'd probably call 911. I'd be like, hey, I think this girl's having a stroke. (laughs) Or if you want to be super cautious, why don't you stop by the Catholic Church, bring a priest with you, just in case. They're like, what? I go, yeah, this girl's mumbling around. (laughs) That's probably a good idea. You could also probably pick her up. This is a little more dangerous, right? 
I'm like, try to, she's all headbutting you over and over again. You're like, oh, you silly girl. I'm not a kitchen wall as your nose is bleeding. You could try to console her. I listen, man, I don't know. I don't know who this Michael guy is. According to him, this is so mean. According to him, he said that maybe he was just scared. I don't know. But anyway, it's so funny. It's so funny. I wouldn't even do this. And I'm like the prank king. He said that Sarah continued to roll around on the floor, mumbling and drooling for the next 45 minutes to an hour. He goes, at this point, he's like sitting on the kitchen counter, watching her just roll around on the ground for 45 minutes. I'd get bored. I'd be like, okay, okay. That's enough. 15 minutes. Final come 911. Bored of watching you. There's very few things I can watch for 45 minutes that don't involve Transformers or Fast and Furious cars blowing up dams or whatever. I'm like, boring. This woman's possessed in front of me. I was like, okay, priest, can you take care of this? I got an episode of The Office to watch. He's like, what? 45 minutes to an hour. Now, here's the thing. Even if you weren't bored, you think just being a fellow human, you would be like, dude, are you possessed? What's going on? Get her to a hospital. She, for 45 minutes, she's mumbling and drooling and rolling around on the floor. And he goes, I don't say anything. He goes, I honestly believe that she's possessed. I honestly believe that something came out of that pantry. And he probably, here's the thing, he could have been scared. Like, you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, man, <laughs> if she's possessed, this is going to get really bad really, really quick. I mean, probably quicker than 45 minutes to an hour, but he said he's just watching this happen. And then after about 45 minutes to an hour, Sarah stops mumbling, gets to her feet, stands up, looks at Michael and says, why are you sitting on the counter? Michael realizes she probably has no memory of what just happened. And he said, I made up an excuse to get her out. <laughs> Listen, if you have a stroke, if you're having an epileptic seizure, you also might not remember what happened. But he goes, I made an excuse to said, hey, I got to go. Um, you got to leave. She's like, oh, OK, fine. She's wiping drool off of her face. She's like, what? He gets her out of the house. And he said, at that point, I walked over to the pantry. And I looked inside. And I could look inside. As in, the darkness was gone. He said that he could now see all the cabinets and everything in his pantry normally. It's interesting, he ended this post, it was posted online by someone going by the name Salt in Your Game. I always just think it's ridiculous when I read these stories and then they have such ridiculous names attached to them. But I looked through his posting history. There was nothing else like that. That's a good way to vet these things. Generally, paranormal encounters happen one or two to most people and then nothing else. He goes, from that day forward, this is how he ended it. From that day forward, my pantry was the same as the rest of my apartment and something I could use again. Which makes me... Th I'm wondering if the rest of the apartment was still freezing cold. He didn't go into a lot of detail there at the ending, but... 
<laughs> he's like, it's freezing cold like the rest of the place. He's all sitting there. He has hypothermia. His fingers are falling off. He's like, this is the last thing I'll ever post. I have no hands. I think what he means is that it's back to normal. But he definitely could start putting food in there again. I would... <laughs> say probably don't i would say oh you know what oh man i have all this spam on the counter i'm gonna stick it back into this well of evil it's a fascinating story it, it really i mean that's one way to get rid of a spirit <laughs> that's one way to get rid of this darkness inside your house is let it latch onto somebody else super i mean here's the thing i could see someone doing that on purpose we covered a story a long time ago i really loved that one I put it in the show notes about the family. This demon was trying to not possess this family, was just trying to ruin their lives. And when they finally got rid of it, where they were getting rid of it, there was a paranormal researcher who was there investigating it, and he says, can I take it with me? Like, yeah, sure, man. It's been ruining her life for 20 years. Here you can take it with you. I've always wondered what happened to him or who that paranormal researcher was. They were doing it. They were trying to get rid of it. And he asked for it. Michael was, I don't think he, you know, I don't think he was necessarily trying to get rid of it because he realized it was too dangerous to mess with. That's one way to get rid of it is to let it attach to someone else. I don't think Michael would have done that on purpose. I don't think if this pantry said, bring me a soul and I will give you back eight cubic feet of storage space. You know, I don't think he would make. I don't think he would made that arrangement. I don't think he was cruel, but when it happened, he probably thought, "Oh well, now I have my pantry back." I don't think he planned it that way. You have to wonder: Did she beat it? Like for that forty-five minutes to an hour, was that that struggle between her own soul and the darkness that leapt out of the food pantry? Were they fighting for control inside of her, and she won? And that's why she jumped up and goes, why are you sitting there? Or did she lose? Like, did the demon lay enough roots inside of her that even though she got back up and she seemed to be Sarah and she acted like Sarah and she sounded like Sarah, the darkness had taken hold. And she would go out to wreak havoc on the world. Who knows? <laughs> I guess you're like, well, I do have a girlfriend and she's pretty cold. Every time I touch her, she's freezing. Um, then you might be dating the girl from this story. I would like to think that the spirit lost. That it tried to enter her body and it lost. But at the same point, it's very, very interesting to think that it never tried to enter Michael. Now, he opened this pantry multiple times. It was when this girl, she must have had some sort of vulnerability, something in her, a hole that allowed it to attack because remember, his friends were coming over too. None of them were ever affected by this thing. But she was. The second she opened that door, this thing came out and started fighting for control of her body. And it may have won. It doesn't mean she's immediately going to jump up and go, I am Drogmoth from the Ninth Circle. Show me where your churches are so they will burn. That's not necessarily how it works. Because then you would call 911, right? You would be like, oh, well, this is out of control for me. I'm going to call 911. She's obviously insane. Um, no, it would just leave in Sarah's body and continue to kind of do what it could to have control over her world. 
Demons aren't always about taking over the entire globe. Sometimes they just want to destroy the life of one person or of one family. But whatever the case is, whether the demon won or lost, Michael got his pantry back. And he now felt that he could use it like normal. But one way or the other, whether she won or lost the battle for her soul, Michael got his pantry back. And everything was back to normal. Or was it? Because as I thought about this story, I realized that she didn't remember any of this stuff happened. She jumped up and went home. So who's to say that Michael, when he looked in that pantry and it was completely empty after the girl left, he goes, wow, everything's back to normal. But how does he know that when she got up and walked out, she had won that battle with that demon and it went back into that pantry and when he opened it up, it came into him. And in that empty apartment, he turned around and began to drool and fell to his knees and began to mumble and convulse. And then after an hour, all Michael remembers is opening the pantry door and seeing it completely empty. And he goes, wow, that is crazy. And he shuts the pantry door and he goes, I wonder if it attached onto that woman and followed her home. Michael sits down in his chair, doesn't realize that an hour of time has passed since the last time he opened that pantry. He doesn't realize that that demon didn't leave with a girl, but took hold within himself. Because he would have no memory of the possession, just like she would have no memory of the possession. He's sitting there watching television and he thinks, wow, I got my pantry back. That's kind of weird. But what he doesn't realize is there is now a dark force living within Michael himself. He thought the demon hitched the ride home with a random hookup. Instead, the demon never left the apartment. It just found a new home inside Michael himself. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.